My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast. So we're looking at removing the source of the inflammatory buildup in the body by physically decompressing it. And then what happens is the tender point just goes away because you've evacuated enough of the garbage that that central area of convergence in the cord is no longer inflamed. Faith, family, fitness, health, performance, nutrition, longevity, ancestral living, biohacking, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the show. All right, everybody wants to boost their immune system these days. And getting in a sauna four to five times a week gives you that support. Plus, it reduces pain and inflammation, increases the levels of these hardy little fellas called heat shock proteins. It helps to maintain muscle even when you can't work out and makes you feel on top of the world because penetrating infrared heat releases so many happy hormones into your body. In my house, you'll find this thing called a Clearlight Sauna. Clearlight is the sauna company known for shielding against EMF, and each sauna comes with a lifetime warranty, so you know they're built to last. The one that I use is called their Yoga Sauna. It's a sanctuary sauna. It's big enough for a workout or a family sweat or having a bunch of people down in there when you have a house party. They've got a variety of saunas, a one-person model up to like these four-person models that I use. And they have a quiz on their website at HealWithHeat.com that lets you figure out the sauna that's going to be perfect for you if you want to sweat buckets and get all the benefits of a sauna in the privacy of your own home. You go to HealWithHeat.com, HealWithHeat.com, and you can use code BEN for a discount and for free shipping. HealWithHeat.com and mention BEN uh, or use the code BEN. Hey, so I uh, decided that this morning I wanted to make a low-carb shrimp and grits for dinner, not for breakfast. I was prepping for dinner. I decided to use cauliflower rice, cauliflower rice, and you could make cauliflower rice. It's it's a little bit time consuming but for a lot of that stuff, like cauliflower rice, coconut wraps or rice wraps or nori or like some kind of paleo gluten-free or keto cereal that you're never able to find at the grocery store that's actually clean, uh, clean beauty products, organic biodynamic wine, non-toxic cleaning products. A lot of this stuff can be a head scratcher to actually find, but there's one place that not only makes finding it easy with amazing search functions, but they have everything, plant-based, keto, gluten-free, zero waste, like you name it, they have it. They're called Thrive Market. You can't even find a bunch of their stuff on Amazon. They ship at amazing prices. You find all your grocery items in one place at an affordable price, which is almost impossible now. And if you join today, they're going to give you 80 bucks in free groceries, $80 in free groceries. If you go to thrivemarket.com slash Ben, oh, and throw in some cauliflower rice while you're at it, it'll all come to your house with fast and free carbon neutral shipping. They better the planet too. These folks at Thrive, they're cool. Thrivemarket.com slash Ben, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Ben. Joy mode. Hey, you want to spice things up in the bedroom? Boost your sexual performance and do it naturally without nasty prescription drugs or so-called gas station pills? Well, listen, a lot of those pills out there, they're horrible for you. I mean, who wants a four-hour erection, nasty side effects, heart problems, and a possible trip to the hospital to get rid of that thing? And who wants to you know, sneak those little blue pills around? Wouldn't you rather take a natural supplement that'll spice things up naturally rather than a prescription drug that could have harmful effects down the road? I mean, you go to great lengths to biohack your way to better mental and physical performance, but how about the bedroom? And that's where joy mode comes in. Joy mode. So it's not a joystick. Don't worry. It's, it's actually just this super tasty powder. So it's a sexual performance booster, supports erection quality and firmness, sex drive, 
clinically supported doses of citrulline, arginine, yohimbine, and vitamin C created by scientists and biochemical PhDs. When you take it, it increases nitric oxide production, penile tissue relaxation, and increased sex drive. And yes, it works for ladies too. The antioxidant action of the vitamin C prevents the nitric oxide from degrading, and that enhances blood flow even more, which promotes even more activity of nitric oxide. So collectively, all these effects enhance sex drive and blood flow to the penis, resulting in better performance. You just tear open the sachet, you mix it with six to eight ounces of water, or if you're like me, you dump it straight into your mouth, you consume it 45 minutes to four hours before sex. You get better blood flow, better erection quality and firmness, better orgasms, increased sex energy, increased drive. Who doesn't want any of that? So go to usejoymode.com slash greenfield or enter code greenfield at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's usejoymode.com slash greenfield and enter code greenfield for a 20% off. Oh, yeah. All right, folks. So you may have heard me interview the authors of a book called Life Force, which was all about longevity and anti-aging and regenerative medicine. Their names were Tony Robbins and Peter Diamandis, and they're pretty well-known guys, and they've got their their fingers pretty deep in this whole world of what works and what doesn't when it comes to keeping your body put together, fighting injuries and strains and sprains, you know, everything from, from stem cells to more fringe anti-aging tactics. And when I interviewed them, Tony in particular kept talking about this manual therapy technique that had provided him specifically a great deal of relief from pain and dysfunction. I had already read about it in the book. And then when he brought it up on the podcast, I kept talking about it. I'm like, geez, I got to look into this stuff. So it's called counter strain. Counter strain. It's almost like a kind of, of like physical therapy or manual therapy. And uh, I reached out to counter strain because I was interested in it and I wanted to see what it actually felt like, what the experience was like. And uh, one of the leaders in the counter strain movement uh, actually flew out to my house and did a treatment on me. We actually video recorded it, by the way. If you want to see it, I'm going to put the video uh, where the show notes are for this show at bengreenfieldlife.com slash counter strain, counter strain. So anyways, it was like nothing I'd ever experienced. Tim was basically just like mapping my body through points in my head. And, and I didn't know what was going on half the time. He's doing a pretty good job explaining it. But the whole time I was thinking, geez, I want to take a deep dive in this on a podcast. So that's what we are about to do. And if you deal with pain, dysfunction, uh, movement limitations, et cetera, then this is definitely something you're going to want to stay tuned into. And as a matter of fact, I have another counter strain practitioner scheduled to come to my house and treat me in, in a couple of weeks based on that initial work with Tim. So anyways, who's Tim? Uh, his last name is Hodges. He's worked in physical rehab since 1996. He helps to develop this whole counter strain technique as well as train practitioners in it. Uh, he started his private practice called uh, Counterstrained Portland back in 2003. So he's been doing this for quite some time and uh, is based out of the Portland, Oregon area. So Tim, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, my pleasure, Ben. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and and there's there's obviously a, a ton of places we could start, including the, you know, all the weird things you were doing to my head and the rest of my body when you came up and visited my home a couple of months ago. But I think uh, I would love to step back and and hear a little bit more about how you would actually describe what counter strain is and how it came to be developed. Yeah, that's uh, probably the most commonly asked question that we get because most people have not heard of it. It is a relatively new technique, I guess, in the the grand scheme of things, all medically, uh, all medical conditions or medical treatments. Um, you know, if you looked at the history of, of that field, counter strain is, is a basically an, an infant. It's been around roughly about 75 years. And 
the original form of counter-strain known as strain and counter-strain or sometimes referred to as the Jones technique. Okay. That dates back to like 1955. So, uh, and that was really the kind of frustration of a practitioner trying to figure out what to do with a client who had resisted all of his uh, best efforts. And uh, Jones, uh, on this one momentous occasion, just offered to position this guy in a, in a way that allowed him to sleep because the guy wasn't able to sleep. And so he spent about 20 minutes doing so. And the guy actually had the most relief that he had had in like six or eight months just from lying in this position for about 20 minutes. And Jones was stunned. Yeah, he was like, I don't understand what happened. I thought we were just trying to figure out a place uh, to put you so that you could get a, a night's sleep because the guy was basically waking up every 10, 15 minutes, you know, and not having restless sleep. And the guy stood up at the end of the session and looked at Jones eye to eye. Previously, he had been bent over, pulled off to one side, not able to fully stand upright, and was completely altered. And so Jones now had the sleepless nights and uh, was pacing back and forth trying to figure out what in the world had happened. Um, and that was the beginning. So he began to search for just comfortable positions for patients that were in really bad kind of acute states. That led to the, the realization that very specific tender point locations on the body would actually indicate what position needed to be performed. So I think you remember at our session, like I'd poke around on your head and I'd look for yeah. various tender points in the body. And then I'd immediately, yeah, immediately go into a treatment that was specifically designed for that location. So that's, that's the origin of it. And, you know, I think he probably continued on that path for, for the better part of his career, you know, figuring things out. Mm -hmm. And he passed in, in 1996 after doing counter strain you know, for a good, you know, almost still 40 years or so. But that's where it came from. They use an osteopath. Those of you who have not heard of osteopaths, they're, uh, they're physicians, but they are a little bit different. They're more like a functional medicine doc. That's a very yeah. popular thing to say. And very good at manipulation too, by the way. My, my physician growing up, my family physician for some of my life was an osteopath. And I remember he'd always take care of me in the same way that an allopath did, but then he'd, he'd do a lot of like hands-on manipulation type of stuff, almost like a blend between, and I'll, I'll probably bastardize the whole profession by saying this, you know, like a blend between like a chiropractic doc and, and a traditionally trained physician. No, that's exactly, uh, you know, I think they actually share origins. A lot of chiropractors, and uh, you know, can trace their origins back to the osteopathic community. So they, they started in a very similar time uh, in history, 1890s. And uh, so they do share a lot of their manipulative techniques with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so first of all, first question for you, there's these tender points, right? So you were going around my head, you're going around my body and you were actually touching on each of these different points. What, how would you define what a tender point actually is? Tender points, and a lot of us are probably familiar with trigger points. Uh, that's a more common, commonly associated painful entity when it, when it comes to body work or if you're an athlete and you're constantly getting these really tender or taut bands of tissue worked out by massage therapists or athletic trainers. And the research into what actually goes on in the body in those locations indicates that there is like a stuck inflammatory particulate. And it doesn't it doesn't really get out of the area due to like physical entrapment or, or tension. Uh, a tender point, uh, it's a little bit different in that it doesn't always have to be related to a myofascial structure. Most myofascial trigger points are related to the myofascial system. Uh, a tender point, on the other hand, can come from literally anything. Uh, it could be from a visceral structure like your colon or, or the pleura within your lungs. Okay. It could be peritoneum of the, of the intestines. Uh, it could be vascular. It could come from a vein or an artery. 
Uh, it could come from the outer sheath of a nerve, uh, bone. You know, the, the bone actually is covered with a pretty tough connective tissue called periosteum, uh, cartilaginous tissues, et cetera. Like all of these things have within them nerves that can sense when there's a, a problem. And then when you follow that nerve back into the spinal cord, these will converge on a sensory tract. So you get multiple sources of input to a singular location. And then you get what's called retrograde inflammation. So if this thing is being like bombarded with inflammatory information uh, due to pain, that pain uh, signal will begin to saturate the spinal cord such that you get this kind of trickling out uh, or referred sensation uh, due to central sensitization. I don't know if that if you follow that, but yeah, yeah, that make, that makes sense. So then that yeah, and that actually creates a location very specifically in the body that becomes very very tender. You know, it just manifests because of the neurological convergence in the cord. So it's not the problem, and I think that's kind of the difference between like what you're experiencing is like I'm finding those locations, but then once we go down to the tender point, I don't do anything to it. I position the body such that it just goes away. So we're looking at removing the source of the inflammatory buildup in the body by physically decompressing it. And then what happens is the tender point just goes away because you've evacuated enough of the garbage that that central area of convergence in the cord uh, is no longer inflamed. And yeah. that's kind of how the process works. Okay. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit, but but it, it is different. Perhaps you can explain the difference of this form of therapy that I used to receive a lot when I do Ironman, uh, active release, te- uh, active release therapy or active release technique. I forget what the T stands for, but you know, I would go down and race Ironman Hawaii and, and yeah, there'd be a giant tent full of ART practitioners. They'd kind of like find a tender spot and they'd pin it right. And then move the joint through a range of motion while that spot was, was kind of pinched or, uh, or had pressure applied to it by the ART therapist. And my understanding was that part of that did involve like deep fascial pain like a lot of these nociceptors that if triggered will keep the the tissue that surround surrounds that area and like like an overprotected or a very guarded state thus limiting range of motion and increasing pain or or increasing stiffness now you know where what's the difference between something like fascial counter strain where you're working with these these tender points and something like art where they're working on tender points or what i, I think they might call trigger points so I think again it's it's concept and you know how do you look at the problem in the body like I would look at the tender point as evidence of a thing, but I would not blame the tender point for the problem. So I look at it as a messenger from the central nervous system that said, hey, you know, the blood supply in my spinal cord is stuck at T8. You know, can you help me out? And so I say, oh, yeah, no problem. I'll go ahead and position you so that the vascular uh, tissues at the T8 level in the spinal cord will relax. Whereas maybe an ART practitioner may look at the focal area of pain as the problem. And so they'll do some direct method to it. So they're going to contact. And, and by the way, there's the tender point, but then there's also this secondary uh, effect, which is the myofascial element. Um, and I think this is probably where people get a little more uh, kind of drawn into the conversation about like, how exactly is this manifesting? Because every one of these structures that has a sensory neuron on it, which is literally everything in the body. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a vessel or a nerve or a muscle, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Like they have these sensory mechanisms that can feel when this thing is is potentially uh, at the point of of being stressed to a failure point and so they will produce not not only this inflammatory response but a second order reflex will cause the myofascial structures in that area to go into a protective tone so that it like elevates beyond what you're consciously able to control the myofascial system to go into this protective mode so that second level um, problem 
would restrict range of motion, would perhaps, you know, show up as a weak spot. Um, it could change your posture. It could cause, you know, nerve compression and, and be a pain generator. So the difference between a direct method attacking some structure in the body and an indirect method is, again, concept. I look at the myofascial element, again, as a protective second order. So I don't look okay. at it as the primary driver. Now, in some cases, it can be, but we can differentiate between that. So, so basically, when you're looking at individual systems, they can all produce a very similar effect in the body. So it wouldn't matter if it was a lung or a rib or a cartilage or uh, sympathetic nerves in the lung. You might get a depressed shoulder or a forward, like protracted position in the body. And so I need to know which system is primary. And when I get the primary one, I get a very quick restoration and position, posture, freedom of movement, uh, strength, blood flow, whatever at all will kind of synergistically release if I get the primary thing. If I'm constantly on the surface of it, looking at you know the myofascial presentation, I am getting to something, see that the carryover is quite as good as I want it to be. Um, because I'm looking again at the second order, not the primary, but the second order presentation into the myofascial system. So does it, do you follow that? Does that make sense to you? Or yeah, that may, that makes sense. And and the the thing in terms of identifying the areas that need to be treated just absolutely intrigued me because you did, and you already alluded to it a couple of times when you were explaining what counter strain is you did what's called a cranial scan. And you, you, you had like this whole guidebook with like hundreds and hundreds of different points that you're supposed to, to touch on the body or, or different, different tender spots. But you started with, with, with this cranial scan. Can you tell me about that, how, how that originated and, and what exactly it, it does and what it's looking for? Probably the easiest way to just out of the gate uh, address the concept that literally everything is connected in the body and there's no there's no separate parts to the body. So, you know, if I pull on someone's foot, they will likely be able to full line of tension all the way up into their, you know, head or neck, like they can feel something being pulled upon. So having everything connected and having a nerve to literally every structure within the body, it's not difficult to understand how various regions might, you know, based upon the type of tissue that we find there. Uh, be somewhat of a homunculus or a map where various tissues or regions of the body might manifest as tension if they were to become tight. So if you had a hamstring that tightened up and it was related to the nervous system, there might be something in the brain or in the nervous system, in the central nervous system, like the spinal cord, brainstem, or in the cerebral cortex, that would manifest that as well, like a physical hmm. tension. So we look at the, the cranial scan as a very quick way to ascertain what, what systems in the body uh, potentially are problematic. Now, why exactly they line up the way they do, I think that's that's one of those, it's like it's a God question. It's like it, we're made that way, and so that's just kind of how it is. I don't know that we're going to know exactly what the underlying mechanisms are, but the, me the mechanical one makes the most sense. And then perhaps uh, the cerebral cortex or the dura uh, being like a, a second level of connection where you see like, okay, there's a dural tension, and maybe that dural tension is connected to some part of the cortex as well. So we feel a physical rigidity uh, in the cranial skull. So a lot of people think of the cranium as being a pretty solid structure. Um, and it is, of course, there are many joints within it, but it is fairly stable. But there are tissue texture changes that we identify as dysfunction. And this can be anywhere in the body. They just happen to also manifest in the head, just a very high concentration. Again, thinking central nervous system, uh, the dura, there's a concept of neural crest, which is basically something that can become centrally sensitized and create a large pattern in the body. So there are many embryological connections to why this region can function as a diagnostic process for us. 
So it, it again goes back to what part of the head is stuck, and we have mapped this out based on bone and ligamentous and uh, spinal cord lymphatics, visceral tissues, myofascia, nerves, whether they're sympathetic nerves or they're somatic nerves or the dural membranes of the brain, including the vascular tissues of the brain, uh, et cetera. So it is fast for us to be able to figure out where your problem is, and then I can very quickly connect this, as you, you might remember, to a motion restriction in the body which we picked up something in your neck, I think, in the first you know, few minutes um, and had you move. And then we did various contact locations on the head, which would cause a momentary cancellation of the, the, the way the body protects itself. So it just relaxes it momentarily. It's not a treatment, but it is to show. Okay, that, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. So the tender points that you're finding in the head that you're then treating are basically causing like this reflex reaction somewhere else, like in my case, in my neck, that then would cause that area to relax, get out of that persistently guarded or overprotected state and potentially return to, to normal function, which, which actually makes perfect sense. But, you know, the other thing I, I think that that you had mentioned to me was that uh, if there's like localized tissue inflammation, like localized tissue edema, that there there's some type of like a metabolite drainage or, or kind of like this this resetting of inflammation that occurs from counter strain, which, which to me seemed really interesting. You could be working on my head in one spot and draining inflammation, you know, almost like in a, in a lymphatic drainage type of way in another spot. And then I went to look at some of the research on it. And it turns out, I guess that, that Brian Tucky, who helped to develop counter strain, he actually had uh, an article that was about impaired lymphatic drainage and what was called interstitial inflammatory stasis in, in musculoskeletal and pain syndromes. So, so can you get into what's going on from like, like an edema inflammation or like, like in terms of, of how some type of drainage would actually be occurring? Cause I don't even understand the mechanism of action. I think we've had multiple theories over the last you know, 50 years. Uh, but this is the newest one, and I actually think it makes the most sense because ultimately what we do, if you go back, you know, I don't know, at least 20 years, like we thought it was reflexive. It was like a purely a neurological response. If that were the case, why did we have to hold it for a period of time? That, that never made sense. I'm like, if it's a reflex and I calm it, why am I now holding this for a period of time? So we now hold these treatments, depending on where they are, what system, you know, on average, I'd say 30, maybe 45 seconds. Uh, back in the day, Dr. Jones would hold them 90 seconds. And what you're really waiting there for that period of time is for physical decompression of the area that has been stuck in this protective state so that when it does relax, the internal, you know, we call them intrinsic lymphatics, they're very tiny, very small vessels. Um, and now, because of the newest research uh, indicating that the interstitium is actually its own system within the body, it's actually been recognized as a separate anatomical system from other uh, tissues. It is filled with tiny little vessels called interstitial vessels. And these two things become physically compressed during a protective state such that they don't drain. And so they contribute somewhat to this stasis of fluid. Oh, so so it's like they're, they're, they're compressed when they're in that guarded state. And then when you remove them from the guarded state, you almost get like an expansion that causes the lymphatic drainage. That is precisely what happens. It's a, there's a little more that happens uh, in addition to that, but that's the mechanics of it. Because if you look at all of the tissues in the body, it doesn't really matter what they are. They have this layer of drainage. Everything has to. And the, the action of, of lymphatics being not really a passive system, right? it's an active system. If you impair its ability to remove fluid, you will automatically become swollen or inflamed. That's a pain generator. All right? And it doesn't matter where it is, it's, it's going to lock up that area. And until you can get the fluid out, 
and I would say reduce the pro-inflammatory state in the tissue, um, it will stay like that. It kind of digs itself a bit of a hole uh, in that the inflammatory cytokines that are released by cells that are feeling strain or stress are the same ones that shut off the active lymphatic pump. So unless you can mechanically open these things to get some fluid to move out, right, this thing just stays chronic. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. So, so do you think that you would still want to do something like lymphatic drainage massage or some type of massage therapy that would more directly target that area in conjunction with counter strain? If you were really trying to decrease some type of systemic inflammatory condition? Most manual therapies work based upon, you know, the, the concept that fluid movement is, is beneficial. And, and I think, uh, massage therapy certainly helps you know, certain chiropractic techniques obviously would target that as well from a, maybe a slightly different different mechanism. Uh, but there's a synergistic effect to multiple types of, of manual therapies. And I think that the underlying mechanism as to why something stays persistent, to the best of our knowledge, it is how Brian has presented this. So I think that, yes, there's this decompression first has to happen, and then a sustained decompression such that the area drains. The only way that we know that it really clears out, at least from our standpoint, and, to, and can verify it is by checking to see if the tender point has been extinguished. Because remember, that is not a local manifestation as much as it is a central nervous system manifestation. And, and that's where you'd go back up to the head and check, right? Well, no, you can check the local tender point, right? The scan that we okay. use in the, the diagnostic state, you know, when we're up at the head, we're looking to see, is that region clear? But it still tells me to go down and look to see if I've gotten all of the, you know, really bad tender points in the area. So I might do one or two things, go back up, and the head says, ah, you still haven't gotten it, so i got to go back down and recheck. When I get it gone, then our main diagnostic at the head no longer shows that that area is sensitive, and that would be an extinguished area, so then we move on to the next thing. Okay, got it. Now, it, it seems to me that you know it's not that surprising that this seems to do a good job alleviating some musculoskeletal conditions, you know, like, like aches and strains and, and, and you know little joint pains and things like that, but... There's some other things that seem to be affected by musculoskeletal conditions like that, perhaps even some, you know, surprising things like say, you know, headaches or cardiovascular issues or, or, you know, emotional struggles like depression, things like that. I'm curious if, if you've come across some surprising applications of counter strain that, that actually really leapt out to you as conditions that you wouldn't expect to respond to something like this that actually did. Well, I would say that during the development of counter strain for the nervous system, you know, we ran into things that, you know, I, I would say that we thought it was possible, like conceptually prior to actually going across, coming across the actual treatments that were the most effective, but treating in the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system uh, can have a profound impact on PTSD, anxiety, depression, um, in addition to things like you mentioned, like cardiovascular problems. And what you're looking at there is the central nervous system's effect through these peripheral neurons that are specific to the autonomic nervous system. And what do they do? They function to regulate typically blood flow you know, into organs, drainage out of organs. Some of the sympathetics can ramp up the activity of the cardiovascular system. Some of the sympathetics, you know, the lower down ones into the GI can slow down the GI process. Parasympathetics obviously would speed up the GI process. So you look at things like digestive disorders, constipation, irritable bowel disease, um, and in the heart and lung region, tachycardia, difficulty breathing, maybe issues with O2 sat, you know, and O2 saturation levels. And you're looking now at the functioning processes of the organs being regulated by the nervous system and being able to release specific, you know, nerve pathways 
that are sympathetic in origin means you can calm this aberrant tone in the nervous system, and then you get a calmer organ system, or you get a calmer you know, state within the body. You know, a lot of these things obviously project back up into the brain. And so if you have a persistent level of irritation coming from peripheral neurons uh, that are sympathetic, then you constantly drive various parts of the brain, the cortex, into a, a state of anxiety. So the person can experience an, an emotional state that they have no reason why they're, why they're feeling like that. They don't feel like it's coming from their brain. And in this case, it's not. It's coming from, from their body. So, uh, yeah, we do see application to things. I like to see what's going on inside my body. I don't like to pay a lot of money to do it, and I want it interpreted for me. And that's what Inside Tracker does. Okay, I got a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, optimize health. They test my blood. They send me the kit. They can do DNA. They can do blood. They can do fitness tracking. They have a sick app that keeps track of all of it for you. So you don't even necessarily have to sit down with like a doctor and have them go through all the results with you because it's super easy to just understand your blood from what they send to you. And uh, they have these super comprehensive blood and biomarker tests that tell you everything that's going on inside your body. You can even connect it with your Fitbit or your Garmin. So you can kind of connect your devices and get real-time recovery tips, for example, after workout. So it's kind of like having a personal trainer and a nutritionist and like a blood interpretive person all in your pocket all at once. It's a lot of people. So anyways, for a limited time, you get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. You go to insidetracker.com slash Ben. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Ben. That gives you 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Enjoy. You know, I'm honestly shocked every time I see a bodybuilder or a fitness influencer or anyone really promoting branch chain amino acids, also known as BCAAs. You see these things all over the place. I just don't get it. They only have three of the nine essential amino acids your body needs. They can cause issues like messing with your serotonin levels and depleting your B vitamins. They affect your blood sugar deleteriously and a whole lot more. But, you know, the dark and dirty secret in the supplements industry is that you can make a lot of money off of the overpriced flavored water that is essentially BCAAs. So I use the word essentially, I suppose, quite fittingly, because the alternative are essential amino acids. Essential amino acids actually have all the amino acids your body actually need. They are great for energy, great for preserving muscle, great for fasting and keeping the appetite satiated, great for, for nourishing the body for sleep, good for cognitive performance. They're like the Swiss army knife of supplements, these essential amino acids. I'm blown away by the number of people who have heard me talk about essential amino acids on the podcast who have started using them and who literally feel like they're on steroids without actually being on steroids. Keon is the company that has the perfect ratios perfectly primed for recovery, for muscle maintenance, for muscle building. Keon aminos are better than not only every branch chain amino acid supplement out there, but because they're essential amino acids, in my opinion, based on the ratios, the flavor, watermelon, mango, berry, lime, so good, uh, better than any aminos out there, period. And I'm going to give you a 20% discount for the Keon Aminos. Go to getkeon.com slash Ben Greenfield. That's getkeon.com slash Ben Greenfield. And they'll give you a special discount on your first time purchase of Keon Aminos. That's fascinating. But by the way, that kind of makes me think about uh, this upcoming treatment I have with, uh, I think, Andrea from Spokane has come up to treat me in a couple of evenings. And I was thinking about wearing like a real-time HRV monitor to see what was happening to the nervous system in terms of sympathetic and parasympathetic strain during a treatment like this. And it sounds like there, there is a pretty big impact on the nervous system. Have you, have you ever actually had anyone quantify that? 
And and when I say quantification, I guess I'm just kind of curious if if you guys have ever quantified anything from like what happens to HRV during a treatment, or if you've looked into you know from a lymphatic drainage standpoint, like presence of cytokines, like measuring blood and biomarkers pre or post treatment, or or anything like that from a quantification standpoint. I think there's some ongoing studies happening right now. Uh, one by my uh, friend Dr. Holly Christie. She's a naturopath in Washington State, and she took it upon herself to form a nonprofit called. I think it's called the Bridgeback organization or bridgeback.org. And they target specifically PTSD. So they're reaching out to a lot of the first responders, you know, military. And they're they've been doing some research now, I think for the last like three years, three or four years. And they have found at this point, I don't know that it's published yet. And so I, you know, hopefully I'm not stating this in a, a pre-published published uh, state, but they have found that the counterstrain method to treating PTSD so far has outpaced all other current methods. And this is early preliminary you know, findings in their research. So that is being done. Uh, as far as like heart rate variability, I have purely anecdotal from the, the athletes that I treat because they all wear some type of device, you know, whether it's uh, a whoop. Um, and uh, the aura ring is another one I think that uh, you know, can pick up on all these little variations within the cardiovascular system. They all report the same thing that their heart rate variability improved. So it would make sense if you're removing a strain from a system, you know, that's pretty tightly controlled, right? The cardiovascular system is, you know, arguably um, extremely important. (laughs) And so fine tuning how this thing runs and keeping a a tab on every aspect of it, that's the job of the sympathetic nervous system and the intrinsic neural system within the heart itself. So yes, we have, we've had reports and I can't say that this has been researched because this is something that has been happening over the last, you know, several years in our clinics. But it's certainly something that I would say is ripe for, for research. And a lot of idiopathic conditions in this region often turn out to be dysfunction. Uh, so I think it's very difficult to image, you know, take a CT or MRI and figure out what's going on from this uh, world because you're looking at such small amounts of inflammation, you know, in, inflammation along a very tiny autonomic nerve pathway, not general inflammation like, you know, you, you got a disc in the cord that's, you know, upsetting the central nervous system. Yeah. So it's yeah. probably very difficult at this point. It's an image. Okay. That makes sense. What about like, like taking measurements on cytokines or inflammatory markers or anything like that? Have you guys looked into that? So the, the article that you quoted before impaired lymphatic drainage and interstitial inflammatory stasis. I think one of the co-authors, Jay Shaw, did do a study where they took a very small uh, fluid sampling from a tender point and they assessed it and it was basically uh, full of pro-inflammatory inflammatory cytokines. So we know that the uh, tissues that become, you know, hypoxic and irritated, you know, any, any tissue really, if it becomes irritated to a point of releasing an inflammatory cytokine, uh, the ones that they typically release the most are your interleukin six, uh, interleukin one B, and tumor necrosis factor alpha. So those three show up over and over and over again. They're 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 the ones that shut down the lymphatic pump. They're the ones that are released during tissue trauma. Hypoxia can cause the body to release these, um, and then depending on where it is, like, let's say this is all occurring in the gut, you know, you might see that the entire GI becomes inflamed. And now you have systemic levels of inflammation due to lymphatic drainage of the gut back into venous uh, circulation. So then you see like levels of CRP going up. So when we see those kind of things that we're thinking, oh, there's a mesentery problem, there's a GI problem that is uh, creating, you know, this almost like an autoimmune state of inflammation, and it's being propagated throughout the body. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, because when, 
you think about a lot of idiopathic conditions or unexplainable illnesses and think about how many of them can be rooted to inflammation. It seems to me that even something, you know, like for people listening in, like if, if you could find a practitioner and just at least start off with something like a cranial scan to see what's going on, because for me, this is not necessarily trying to fix a disease or a serious issue, but I'm just curious about how the body would respond to to a few episodes of this as far as, you know, just little aches and pains or, or you know, just small things in terms of overall energy levels or sleep or anything like that. So I'm actually in, in very uh, curiosity-driven mode right now when it comes to receiving my own series of treatments here coming up. And that's actually what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about was the whole logistics of this, like what it's like to receive a treatment. So let's say someone schedules uh, with a counter-strain practitioner. I'll, I'll link to a bunch of directories if you go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash counterstrain. Uh, let's say someone goes in or as is in my case actually convinces the practitioner and you know pays a little extra travel time for it to have someone come to their house. What's that first treatment actually look like and how long can someone expect in that first treatment? And then what happens as far as follow-up treatments are concerned if, if those are actually necessary? We come from a varied background. So that's that's one thing to kind of get out of the gate here is you know, we're massage therapists, athletic trainers, PTs, OTs, some osteopaths, some medical doctors, nurse practitioners, uh, chiropractors. So we, we have a pretty wide swath of allied health. And so accessing an individual practitioner can look a little different. So in my practice, it's, uh, it's cash. And so we, people typically just call and schedule an appointment. Um, in other places, if you're seeing a physical therapist, you know, there may be a physician involved and, you know, you might have to get a uh, referral. So it can go from, you know, you have a 30 minute session with somebody in some states to, you know, like we'll, we'll often see people for an hour or two hours. And if they travel in from out of state, sometimes we'll increase it to a three hour session. And then the whole process basically begins with this, with the same kind of, you know, question and answer that you, you would experience at most PTs. We're trying to figure out like, is there a history here? You know, what is the primary problem? And then when we get into our diagnostic phase, you know, we may look for an area that's, that is in our mind and demonstrated through movements uh, to be like the area of greatest restriction or what we would identify as a key lesion. So where is the body locked up the most? Uh, we're very motion focused. So I want to make sure that I'm not doing something in an area that, that works fine. You know, I want to find what's stuck and alleviate it. So that's where I think the complexity of applying this, you know, it's hard to get that across in a podcast, <laughs> but uh, we're looking literally at about 5,000 different locations on the body and probably in the neighborhood, somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,000, 1,000 to 1,100 individual diagnostic locations. You know, there's some overlap, obviously, like the thoracic spine, for instance, you got 12 ribs. So there's a lot of things there that are done similarly. So it wouldn't be an individual technique to say I did a, a rib treatment at T4 and a rib treatment at T5. They're kind of the same thing. But yeah, lots of different locations that we're looking at what, what's stuck and then identifying through our cranial scan diagnostics. And then, of course, through individual system tender point identification, which ones are the primary ones. And then we go right, right to work. Um, and we'll repeat that process multiple times. I think if you remember session that we did back in May, I'd have to get up, move around and see how things felt. And it's how we'd alleviated, you know, four or five different systems. It was like, ah, it's still a little stuck, still a little stuck. And then we got the fifth one out and you're like, yeah, it seems like that's free now. Then we move on to the next thing. So it's a little bit of a exploration, you know, and you're kind of, you're, you're a participant because you're giving constant feedback. Um, a lot of people want to know how painful is it? And really the technique is not painful, but we'll often locate specific locations. And I would say most people want to know that we found something. So even though we can probably feel where something is, is painful, we often will push on the thing and verify that, yes, that is a, a pretty you know painful spot that we're going to treat. Um, and this, this whole process repeats over and over again throughout the entire session. 
And you know, we may, may find single system problems, which are kind of rare. Uh, most common is you know three or four uh, issues. You know, you get a little problem with the arterial supply to something. The nerves are a little bit upset. Uh, the venous lymphatic system doesn't drain well, and maybe there's a myofascial chain that's tight. You know, and then you alleviate all of those in that area, and people are like, "Wow, so that that pattern of movement now feels very free." So that's kind of how the process works. Follow up. You know, we generally, unless it's a pretty simple thing, uh, we're going to recommend a follow up because you treat a bunch of things, you send the body away, the body does its work. You know, I'd say the the, the vast majority of what the body is going to do with the problem is done after manipulation, not during. So that could be a good 24 to 48 hours of just kind of laying low, uh, not straining the system, allowing the body to fully drain the area and, you know, go to work in terms of repairing things. Um, and then follow up, you know, we, we typically will see people once a week, you know, if it's a local person and they've got a chronic condition once a week, once every two weeks is not uncommon. If it's more acute, you know, we might want to see somebody uh, a couple times a week, and just keep the the sessions shorter uh, to get them over the over the hill faster. Yeah, yeah. It it seemed as though really like when it came to these these tender spots, it was it was like find one, hunt it down, work on it. Boom, that one's done. Move on to the next one. Move on to the next one. But I also get the impression that some tender points might not respond right away to the first treatment, and you kind of got to hit them again in, in subsequent treatments. I would say that that happens when there are things that you didn't tease out uh, in detail during the diagnostic process. So our, our, if I've run into a situation where it's not going away, uh, which this happens, happens to all of us, I instantly just stop what I'm doing back out and I re-examine because my expectation is that they will go away relatively quickly. You know, they sh- it shouldn't, you shouldn't be there for 10 minutes trying to get something to go away. That's just the body saying, you know, you may have missed the correct diagnosis, you know, go back and look. Because when you alleviate the mechanical problem, and it causes that area to to open up and dilate, and it pulls inflammation out. I should at least feel tissue texture change, like something softened. And then, over the course of like fifteen or twenty seconds, the tenderness should be gone, like just gone. So if you run into stubborn ones, it's like okay, this one's here, but it may not be the one that is actually generating the pattern. So I need to go find that. So that's a that's a diagnostic thing, and you just kind of go a little bit higher up the chain. Maybe you miss something in the brain. Maybe there's something in the spinal cord itself. And that's, that's usually what, what that situation means. Okay. Okay. God, that makes sense. Now, what about somebody who doesn't have any significant injuries or aches or, or medical conditions, even though I, I don't know if, if that person actually exists, but, but let's take this theoretical perfect person. Uh, let, let's say like an athlete and they just want to say run faster, or lift a heavier weight, perform better. Do, do you think there's any crossover here in terms of performance implications for somebody who's just like, I'm going to do this as, as an ergogenic aid for performance? There's multiple ways to answer this question. So uh, yes, I would say yes, there are applications there. And then uh, there's wellness applications as well. So you know, I wouldn't say you have to have a specific complaint to come in and have somebody do this work. And why, why do I say that? Your body has this insane ability to compensate for all kinds of things. You know, and I think you and I were, were just joking that, you know, we were kind of shocked that we survived our teenage years, given the kind of physical activity that we put our bodies through. And yet, yet here we are, you know, in our 40s, and we're still okay, you know, we're still, we're still here. So do we still carry those histories with us? Well, absolutely. And, you know, beyond that normal, you know, process of healing, what does your body hold on to? I would say that in many cases, the body resolves these situations, right? It does a good job of healing. Um, and it's the ones that stick around where you're like, oh, I'm going to need to assist that one because it didn't drain out when it was done scarring down, you know, and so that's that's where our stuff comes in. But people can have a lot of these that are subthreshold, you know, and, and that really has to do with like, where is their 
pain threshold really at. You know, that that's a varied gauge of of what somebody will tolerate for, you know, 10 years. You know, someone else couldn't do for 10 minutes. So that's very individual. And someone can come in saying they feel pretty fine and I can do two hours of work on them and they get up and they're like, I had no idea that I could feel better than I did. So uh, people that have literally nothing wrong, that's their perception, obviously, because they're living in their body. Uh, but there's probably some subthreshold things that just aren't hitting their consciousness. And so they, they're not even aware that they're there. It's like spotting movement pattern disorders and be like, oh, that's a little tight right there. But the person says, well, I don't really feel anything. So yes, there's there's definitely performance enhancement. There's a wellness aspect to this. And there are subthreshold dysfunctions that I would say you just want to keep them away. It's like you don't drive your car for five years without doing an oil change and just wait till it breaks. You do preventative maintenance. So I would say that this kind of fits into that role. So if you had no problem whatsoever, you felt great, you know, you're very active or whatever, and you just want to add something to your, you know, wellness routine four times a year. You know, I'd say come in with the seasons and, you know, work work with one of us for one or two hours and let's just eradicate things that you probably build up over time um, and you just keep everything quiet. And so that things don't manifest that way. Plus, and this is this is specifically for, you know, you as an athlete and other athletes, you're always pushing the envelope, always. So the likelihood that you tear something during athletic competition, if you had a, one of these latent dysfunctions, is higher. You know, you may not be aware of it, but the chance that, you know, you push beyond the, you know, extensibility of some tissue due to the fact that it doesn't move as well as it could if it was completely healthy just increases your risk of injury. So I think you probably saw in the book, I worked directly with uh, Diego Valeri, who was a Portland Timbers for like nine years. You know, he came up from Argentina uh, when he was uh, 26, I think. Left recently, left last year at the age of 35. And when I met him in 2015, his body had was full of these things. He was very stiff. His rib cage didn't move very well. He said he couldn't, he could no longer jump because his ankles had been sprained so many times. He didn't have the flexibility to, to jump. His speed was was definitely lower. His endurance was fine, but you know he's a professional athlete, so I think you know they manage their uh, expenditures quite well. They know how to get around and not burn themselves out. And he was a master, you know, at, at just seeing the field. So he had a lot of other things that he could dwell upon, but his physical body was definitely uh, not functioning to the best that it could. In fact, he tested. I think he told me he tested last in their functional movement assessment that they do every year, like last in the entire team. So when that was in 2015, by 2000, early 2017, about a year and a half later, he had leapfrogged the entire team and was now the best in terms of his functional movement capacity. And that was after a year of working with us here at Counter in Portland, removing again all these things that had basically made it difficult for his body to move like a normal one. He accumulated all of these dysfunctions. He also regained the ability to jump. And I don't know if you noticed in 2017, but he got the league MVP and I think he had 21 goals. Fully half of those were jumping headers. So Performance enhancement, yes. Functional improvement, yes. Uh, longevity, yes. And then, of course, just you know, just looking at the wellness. Like, how do you improve everything so that your body just feels better, performs better? I think all of those things fit uh, quite well. You know, we do we do uh, quite a bit of wellness work here as well. Yeah, and that's obviously a pretty good testimonial from a performance standpoint. And you know, back back to uh, to Tony Robbins who introduced me to this protocol, and and uh, they connected me with you guys. I recall back in the day, he was kind of into this form of somatic therapy for pain called network spinal analysis or NSA, which I haven't had done, but apparently they kind of like put light touch on certain parts of your spine to release tension. 
And then they say that then that frees up energy and increases flexibility in the spine and decreases back pain and heals the nervous system. It seems to me like this is pretty similar, except you're working higher up in the central nervous system, up in the head instead of the spine. Do, do I understand that correctly? I, I've known a few network providers. Obviously, I run into them at, at Tony's events. And yeah, there's a lot of similar. There's a lot of overlap in manipulation. And so the areas that they focus on are like spinal cord reflexive centers. Uh, obviously, the spinal cord, 69 million nerves, highly sensitive structure, orchestrates everything, has all your preganglionic autonomic nerves to every organ in your body, every vascular structure. So if you wanted to like have a full body impact, you're basically left with head or spinal cord, you know, and that those two things, you know, you will absolutely touch uh, every aspect of the body. As far as like them not doing, I, I, I'm not sure if there's nothing that they do with the head or if it's just that they focus primarily on the spinal cord itself. But I would assume that there's impact there as well, because every time we do spinal cord work, for instance, you can feel things in the head changing as well. So you can imagine something like a second order motor neuron that actually originates in the motor cortex. And so when you follow the motor from the motor cortex down to the brainstem to the opposite side of the body, you know, that's a one continuous neuron pathway until it lands on whatever nucleus that it's going to communicate with in the spinal cord. So it's not like they're not having an impact on the brain. It's just I think they focus a little bit more, you know, in the spine. But I think that they're, like I said, very similar in terms of the central aspect, you know, and the whole emotional element. It's like you can't remove certain things from the work that you do because we're, you know, we're kind of a unified being, right? Our, our souls, our spirits, and our body are, are kind of one thing. Um, they may live in like different realms, but these are, are uniform. Uh, I would say every, every person I've seen that has had like an emotional trauma when we begin to work, it's like, you're not just impacting their physiology. Like there is an absolute, you know, emotional element to this or an energetic element to this. It's just not the intent for, of many practitioners. Like they don't intend to work directly with that. And so sometimes that happens during a treatment and they're not exactly sure what exactly is, is going on, but the, the connection is, is extremely strong. They have tapped in far more, I think, to that energetic side, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, this kind of uh, just once again highlights the fact that there's there's you know more than one way to address some of these issues. And I've experimented with a lot of stuff. You know, I, folks probably remembered my podcast with, you know, the human garage who does all sorts of fascial manipulation. I interviewed my massage therapist. You know, I've had practitioners come over to my house. I had the um, another guy, I'm blanking on his name. He, he did kind of like a, a mapping with the eyes and the vagus nerve and, you know, like an eye movement resensitization type of protocol. And, and a lot of this stuff is just kind of fun to, to play with and see what actually works for your body when you throw that noodle against the wall, so to speak, and, and see if it sticks. So based on that, Tim, could you explain if there's like a practitioner listening in who wants to learn how to do this stuff on their patients, where they would go. And then also if there's someone listening who just wants to go and experience counter strength for themselves, where they should go. Sure. So I, I would assume you have people on your call here that are global, like an international uh, group. Yeah. So in, in cases where you're in certain countries, it's going to be difficult you know, to get access to training. But we do have trainings that occur in uh, Indonesia, in Australia, and throughout Europe, we've got courses running primarily in France, uh, but we've got practitioners in Italy and the UK and Germany. So we're spreading, but it's fairly new. Like I mentioned before, it's, it hasn't been around that long. In fact, the, the, the form that we're really discussing here debuted in 2008. So that's a little bit of the, of the history as to why you know this is still you know in its infancy. Uh, but 
the best ways to go uh, is counterstrain.com. And there's a, there's a listing there of uh, practitioners, but there's also training. So you can click on the training tab and then it kind of gives you an overview of like what, what the training is like and where you would do it. And then if it's in a foreign country, it's not in the U.S., there are links there that take you directly to the host partners that run courses in those countries. And that's kind of the, the best first step. Um, if you're curious about what the amount of time is, it's going to vary from one person to the next. But at the, at the moment, there's about 12 courses that span every system in the body. And each one of these lasts about three days. So, you know, if, if you looked at it from a day standpoint, it's, it's limited. But the amount of information that we often pre- present is enough to keep you busy for three to six months. So you could stretch that out over, you know, four, three or four years. And then somebody who wants to experience it also on counterstring.com is a database of people that have taken our courses. I think there's around a thousand on there currently. We get people registering, you know, all the time for a profile. They just have to take at least four of our classes to get on there. So there's likely another thousand out there that haven't achieved that. And so they're not listed on there, but it has grown tremendously since its inception. There were only 22 people in the first class, um, and that was in 2008. And this thing has grown and grown. So now we're we're seeing uh, you know a very uh, healthy introduction of new new people into our courses, which we're very excited about. But I know your clientele is likely a good portion of them. I think are probably in this uh, medical field, uh, just based on my own research looking into who you speak to. Yeah. Yeah. A ton, ton of practitioners listening. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll link to all the resources as well as previous podcasts I've done my, my chat with Tony and Peter about this. And then also, uh, and this will be cool for people to see, like I mentioned, you know, Tim, when you were at, at the house, we had like a videographer capture your entire initial treatment on me and you guys can kind of see my reaction and, and perhaps, you know, read by my face, how, how tender or non-tender the points were. And, and you can see Tim actually mapping my head and doing the cranial scan. So I will, embed that video also if you go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash counter strain it's bengreenfieldlife.com slash counter strain and as i go forward and get a few treatments done i'll keep you guys posted about anything else that i experience with this uh pretty cool form of manual therapy so tim thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing all this with us man i, I think it's fascinating and again i'm excited to experience a little bit more of it yeah and ben thank you so much for being open to uh, having me up at the house uh that was a blast i, I loved uh, being able to interact with you and just very appreciative of the opportunity. So thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, folks, I'm Ben Greenfield along with Tim Hodges from Counter Strain signing out from bengreenfieldlife.com. Have an amazing week. More than ever these days, people like you and me need a fresh, entertaining, well-informed and often outside the box approach to discovering the health and happiness and hope that we all crave. So I hope I've been able to do that for you on this episode today. And if you liked it, or if you love what I'm up to, then please leave me a review on your preferred podcast listening channel, wherever that might be. And just find the Ben Greenfield Life episode. Say something nice. Thanks so much. It means a lot.